welcome to High Energy Health, where together we explore the leading edge of wellness and happiness. I'm your host, Dawson Church. By choosing this time together, you're declaring your commitment to a positive mindset, elevated emotions, and a great life. Thanks for joining me for today's episode. Hello and welcome to High Energy Health. As I sit here and reflect on connecting with you, I feel so grateful. And I've been thinking more and more about how we're a community. We're a community of practice, we're a community of intention, we're a community of goodwill, and that community is powerful. I know when I sit in meditation every morning, I can feel that community. And I'm aware that there are millions of people who are meditating at that same time all over the world. As I point out in my book, This Brain, I looked at the number of meditators throughout history and the records we have going back to India and China, Germany and France as early as 1100 and 1200 AD show that about 1% of the population has been interested in, in spiritual things. The other 99% really weren't. But then in the US, that figure holds true as well, up through about 1980, when about 1% of the population was meditating. But according to the Centers for Disease Control, as of 2005, about 4% of the population was meditating. That's a quadrupling in only 30 years. So big leap occurred in the number of people meditating. And according to the latest CDC figures, it's approaching 20%. 20 times more people are meditating mm-hmm. in developed countries than there were before. So we're part of this large community. And when you sit down to meditate, you might feel like and look like one lonely individual person in single part of the world. And yet you're inhabiting what the great Jesuit philosopher of the 1950s, Teilhard de Chardin called the psychosphere, the sum total of the consciousness of the planet. Just like we have an atmosphere and a stratosphere, we have a psychosphere, and that's the consciousness of planet Earth. And you're entering that psychosphere, you're participating in that, you're participating with all the other people of compassion, of wisdom, of kindness, of awe, of gratitude, and you're part of that. So as we begin this particular time together, whenever I'm on a podcast, whenever I'm sharing with somebody, whenever I'm bringing in a guest, I always take a moment to pause and to think of the influence that we're having on the psychosphere by what we choose to have occupy our awareness, our thoughts, our feelings every day. And so I encourage you to make meditation a regular part of your life. You'll know if you listen to our other shows, I also recommend EFT tapping. That is the quickest stress reduction tool I found. There are also about 30 other methods I describe in my book, Mind to Matter, that you can use the grounding, yoga therapy, time and nature, all of these things are part of self-care and entering that sacred inner space. So I'm so glad you're choosing to enter that space with with me today. It's powerful to be here with you. It's powerful to be part of this bigger space that we all can move into, the psychosphere, and both tune into different vibrations in that psychosphere and also contribute to all the positive effects in the psychosphere by what we choose to inhabit, what we choose to embrace, what we choose to have occupy our consciousness. My guest today is Joseph Selby, and he is an expert at making complicated scientific ideas simple and 
clear. He's a founding member of the meditation community Ananda and has been meditating for over, <laughs> this is a long time, for over 40 years. He's the author of the books, The Physics of God, The Yugas, and his newest book, which is called Breaking Through the Limits of the Brain. Joseph, it's such a pleasure to welcome you to the show. My pleasure, too. It's the first time that we've talked together, but I have a feeling it won't be the last, and I know this is going to be a really fun conversation. I was just showing you before we began my actual, my copy of The Physics of God, a lot of dog years in it of really memorable concepts and passages. And it's this is a powerful gift of yours to make these really abstract concepts clear and also tie them all together. How did you get into all this stuff? Well, I came from a family of science-oriented people, and right in to college. That was my main focus, was to have a science degree. I was pursuing microbiology at the University of Colorado. And then I had a very profound, very powerful psychedelic experience, hallucinogenic experience. And it wasn't my first. I'd had many before it, many after it. But this one stood out because it felt transformative. It felt like I tuned into, I became the person that was my highest potential. And it felt wonderful. I liked being around people. People liked being around me. I felt the whole experience was sacred. I felt the presence not in a uh, in a way in which you know I was I was crushed in awe, but just that it was natural that the presence was with me and that I was a part of that and I was expressing that and that set me very firmly on the spiritual path and looking for especially ways to recreate that experience to once again feel such wonderful peace and harmony and presence and step by step. That took me into the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda and meditating regularly, which I've done, as you said, for over 40 years now. But I never lost the connection to science. I always felt a kinship with the scientific approach, the precision, accuracy, the, the way in which it winnows out thoughts that are not grounded in any facts. So I loved that. I loved the spiritual experience. And the two came together in in all of the books that, that you mentioned. And I think because I'm fairly grounded in both, it's perhaps easier, perhaps more natural for me to connect them in ways that people can understand. I think back to my experience and going back to the 1980s and the whole cultural view at that point of energy healing, energy medicine, spirituality, consciousness was that it was something over there. Spirituality, healing, energy methods, all of these things were woo-woo. They were in one side of society, a very peripheral fringe side. And then there was the real stuff. Science was real. And it's just remarkable how over the last 25, 35 years, that's completely changed. And now we find science be used to investigate these phenomena. I remember when, when Robert Becker in the 1960s and Max Cade in the 1960s were hooking people, hooking people up to EEGs and measuring their brainwaves and saying, wow, there is a lot going on here scientifically that you can measure about these elevated states that it began to open people's eyes to it. And now, of course, uh, routinely we have these advanced tools like MRIs that we're using to look at what's going on in the bodies and brains of people. And that when we have these sorts of 
of, of shifts in consciousness, profound things happen in our bodies, and that we can integrate all of these things, and then to the larger cadence of physics and how the whole universe works. So it's remarkable that this whole endeavor of science and spirituality, so divorced just 30 years ago, has now really come together. Yeah, it is remarkable. I mean, my book are just a handful of now hundreds, thousands probably, of books that are coming out, articles are coming out, uh, workshops, speakers, organizations that really promote this connection between science and religion rather than it remaining separate. And as you say, I think it has been transformative. I've been pleasantly surprised by how many people have been interested in my books and for whom what I had to share was significant, either significant in the sense that it allowed them to confirm the validity of their own spiritual beliefs, or it allowed some people who were leery of spiritual teachings because they believed that science had ruled them out, and therefore, if science had ruled them out, they would have to be foolish to embrace them. But for them, finding that science, in fact, hadn't ruled them out, and in many ways, theories of physics and the discoveries in, in psi research and neuroscience have confirmed, rather than ruled out, these deeper connections that science has to experiential spirituality. What was one of your first big epiphanies, insights about that connection? What made you sort of say, aha, really early on? Well, I started having that aha with the connections that were being drawn between quantum physics and various theories or concepts coming from experiential, experiential spirituality about astral regions, astral bodies, subtle energy bodies, that the two were starting to be confirming rather than veering apart. And then in recent years, neuroscience took a giant step forward when the new imaging tools became available. So prior to, I'm not exactly sure when, but let's say 1990, the way in which neuroscientists explored the brain was by putting sensors on the surface of the skull and seeing what they could divine from that. So the EEG was very useful, found things like brain rhythms, etc. But then came MRI, particularly fMRI. And fMRI is where MRI is a snapshot at a given time, fMRI is a movie. And it can see what portions of your brain light up over a period of time. And scientists can ask you questions, stimulate your brain with images, sounds, etc., and see where it lights up. They can see what happens when you move your body. They can see what happens when you are sexually stimulated. But they can also see what happens to the brain when you are meditating, when your forebrain starts to light up with inspiration and that very solidly coincides with experiential spiritual teachings that many meditation techniques have a center our focus at the point between the eyebrows or in the forebrain. And that is the part of the brain that fMRI reveals, lights up when we meditate. So a deep correlation, strong correlation between what science can measure and what the, the teachings underlying meditation have been saying for centuries to millennia. So that was a, a, a great launch point for me to go deeper into neuroscience. Yeah. yeah, I know Andrew Newberg, who wrote the foreword to your new book, talks about how the experience is so radical of those 
those transformative states that for the brain, it it, it can permanently change the way it, it functions. And he talks about things like the regions like the ventromedial prefrontal cortex then lighting up in, in meditators and really controlling and regulating negative emotion and the limbic system. And then how the orbiter frontal cortex that has to do with attention becomes highly active. And so these monks and nuns have spent 10,000 hours, they are highly attentive to the object of the meditation to the point where they can screen out everything that's not salient to that. And then how he writes about how the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex then gets quiet. And that's the seat, of course, of the self, selfing, self-absorption and um, the pole of the default mode network that really is active in people who are suffering, who are worried about the past, who are concerned about the future and this big shift in brain activity and brain resources. And we're starting to, to work this out. And I think that in the last, in the next few years, with even more high resolution MRIs, we're going to be able to develop a, a, a whole map of how brain structure and function changes as we do these elevated practices. So it is really a, a, a new a new dawn in science where it's directing us to go in the future. Yes, as you say, it is a huge new dawn because now the measurements are much more immediate. They're still measuring essentially electrochemical activity in the brain. So we don't always know why a portion of the brain lights up, but we know it lights up and we can correlate it to activities. We can correlate it to thought. What I was equally fascinated with, and as you brought up Dr. Newberg, who, who wrote the foreword for my book, outlines in his book, How God Changes the Brain and How Enlightenment Changes the Brain, is that as meditators go deeper, there are stages. And the first stage is that everything in your brain is pretty active. And then the activity shifts more and more to the frontal cortex. But, and this is what I found fascinating, the deepest meditators that they measured, even the frontal cortex activity would subside and the brain would, in effect, go dark. And yet the testimony of the subjects that they were testing was that that's when they felt the most power and the most presence. And so that's really part of the foundation for the, the intent of my book, which is that we need to break through the limits of the brain. The brain is a great tool, yes. a, great, a great help to us, but the highest experiences of divine presence in our higher self come when the brain quiets up. Yes. Yeah, he has measured in some of his work, has measured a big, big drop in brain activity. And you're right, that's when people have those deepest experiences. So they go brain dead. And they're happy. And the, the biggest uh, case history of that, I have one of my books is, is Jill Bolte Taylor and how right. she had that, what she calls my stroke of insight when she, right. her, her, she had a stroke and her, lost the use of her parietal lobe. And she had no idea who she was. She couldn't walk. She couldn't feed herself. She could do nothing in terms of the outward structure of her life. And she was blissfully happy. <laughs> yeah. Brain dead and happy. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of spiritual teachers have said that the brain is a filter and it's a reducing now, and that the consciousness that we experience when the brain is active is limited by that activity. I, I call it the uh, the fireworks show, that we have all these neuro circuits that we've created in our brain that are interconnected, and one fires, and then it fires the other circuit and fires another circuit. And this is kind of our, our daily life, that we get drawn into 
the behaviors, the thought patterns, the memory chains, and especially the emotions that we routinely have. The brain supports them all. This brain automatically triggers them all. And it starts off this, you know, as soon as we get up, it starts off this unending chain neural firing that keeps us occupied all day long. And unless we do something, or unless we already have the habit of doing something like meditating, that becomes our reality. That that ongoing fireworks show is a big limit. <laughs> to what we can experience. Uh, yes. And so meditation, in a way, uh, penetrates through that and gets beyond those limits of the brain so that we can experience the, the non-local aspects of ourselves, the, the subtle energy aspects of ourselves that are always there, always present, always connected to the physical body, but we tend to not be aware of them. Yes, they're, they're totally preoccupied with all of those distractions as all those circuits fire every day, and then we don't make time to still our minds and reduce that activity of the brain and then tune into that non-local reality. I'm so indebted to Larry Darcy for giving us that that term, non-local reality, non-local mind and local mind. It's such a good frame to neutral frame to see these things through. We're going to go to a break right now, but please stay tuned. You're listening to High Energy Health. And my guest today is Joseph Selby. His newest book is called Break Through the Limits of the Brain. We'll be right back with more. Hello and welcome back to High Energy Health. I'm your host, Dawson Church, and I just love tuning in with you and being here every week and sharing positive ideas, sharing positive media. There's so much negative media out there. I know I've been flipping with my wife at night through through TV channels, and there are just a huge number of shows to watch and all these enormous media companies. And, and last count, there was something like 590 new TV sh seasons of shows available to watch. There's all this stuff, and you're bombarded by it all. And then what do you choose to actually tune into? And I know that for me, I want to tune into positive stuff. And for every every time I go look at the news, I can do look at the news usually once a day. I read the news and there's plenty of negative stuff there. So I go find positive stuff as well. Just like, for example, this last week, I've been very concerned about deforestation in the Amazon because there have been stories about that recently, how deforestation has been more deforestation in the last year than there has been in the past 20 years. And I know that deforestation in the Amazon was decreasing for between like 1990 and then 20, 2010, 2015. And so it was getting better and now it's been getting, getting worse. But I just thought off reading that story on deforestation right now on the Amazon. Let's go take a quick look at some of the scientific data on deforestation. And the story that was totally missed by the New York Times and the Washington Post and all the other sources was 36 countries in the world have more forest cover now than they had 20 years ago, including India and China, the two biggest countries by population and by some, some of the biggest countries by land mass in the world. They have more trees than they had 20 years ago. They reforested. Now, do you think I'm going to get that story along with a terrible deforestation Amazon story? No. So we, we get all this negative stuff coming to us. So I really urge you to do that little exercise. If you read a negative story, just zoom out, go to positive.news or the Good News Network or read chapter, a chapter of one of my books or grab any inspirational podcast or book and, and then focus on, on the data, focus on what else is out there.
out there and you're going to find that there's a lot more to be thankful for, grateful for, and reassured by than there is to upset you. So use use positive media. Listen to High Energy Health. We have lots of episodes up there with some of the most inspiring people on the planet. Listen to the podcast, read the books, get the free downloads of those meditations, read the research. There's a study coming out in a major top tier journal in actually this 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 month, September, of uh, that I did with, with colleagues showing that certain styles of meditation are changing your brain anatomically within a month. So there's a lot to be thankful for and the and the kinds of techniques and tools we share here are gonna radically affect your life, radically improve and up level, upgrade your life. For more on Joseph Selby's work, go to his website, josephselby.com. I'll spell it for you. So it's just Joseph spelt in the normal way. And then S-E-L-B-I-E, josephselby.com for more on his new book, Break Through the Limbs of the Brain, his previous books, and also his other ideas. That's all at josephselby.com. Joseph, with the MAPS project, which many people have heard of or uh, been aware of, and the whole renewed use of psychedelics in therapy, and especially for treating disorders like PTSD, uh, major depressive disorder, uh, persistent anxiety, and so on, there's this whole new age of using psychedelics therapeutically and therapy. And I was just wondering for you, how did your early experience with psychedelics compare to the experiences you have in deep meditation? There are a lot of similarities. There are some differences. Psychedelics are kind of molecule that basically reorients what part of your brain you are operating from. And I think it's very effective now with PTSD and other deep emotional traumatic kind of problems that people get into because it's the only thing that automatically takes them away from this routine negative firing of the circuits that support negative emotions and that the neural circuits that they have that fire and trigger negative emotions are so powerful that they're in a perpetual loop. They just can't escape them because their brain is wired to trigger them. So it takes something often extraordinary, like a hallucinogenic experience, for them to, you know, exhale and realize that they can experience something other than this negative, tense experience that they've been carrying around for can be decades. So when I had that experience, it just took me out of my normal mind. It took me out of my normal firing pattern of the circuits that I had developed. I wasn't suffering from any particular negative emotional pattern, but I was suffering from being completely distracted from (laughs) my spiritual self. And that is a worldwide malady that we don't really know who we truly are because we're distracted by it. So as I've meditated over the years, that powerful psychedelic experience I had has been somewhat of a touchstone for me. I often think about it and I often think, how am I living today, this moment, consciously, in relation to what I experienced then. And I have found, in all honesty, that I'm often in calm, happy, peaceful, positive states that are everlasting. They don't go away when the psychedelic is flushed out of my system. So it really has been transformative to meditate. And then I have peak experience in meditation that I would say, if anything, have been more powerful than anything I experienced in my psychedelic experience almost 50 years ago. 
So it, it does in some ways the same thing. Psychedelics takes you out of the habitual pattern that your mind wants to fire in, and it just takes you out of it. Meditation creates new circuits that support the new way in which you want to behave, in the new way in which you want to experience life and your feelings. And that becomes more and more permanent the longer you meditate. Yes, it does become more permanent. It's wonderful to see those MRIs showing that when people reach what one psychologist calls state stability, they develop those traits and then they are able to be there much of their lives, much of their, their waking moments. My guest today is Joseph Selby. You can see more about his work and his books and his website, josephselby.com. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back after a break. Hello and Welcome back. My name is Dawson Church. You're listening to High Energy Health. And I just love sharing this information with you every week. I love sharing the data with you. I love sharing the practices with you. And we will get into the practices in this next segment. For more on Joseph's work, go to his website, josephselby.com. That's S-E-L-B-I-E.com for more in his books, for more in his ideas, for more on his work. So Joseph, you had this catalytic experience in college with psychedelics. You then learned to meditate and you then found you could move to those similar states. I'm really curious as to what you do nowadays. That was, that was 40 years ago. <laughs> and you've learned a thing or two in that time. <laughs> what well, do you do nowadays? Well, meditation remains the core. And I think that, you know, meditation isn't like riding a bicycle and, and all you do is ride a bicycle. Even when you ride a bicycle, what you're doing is, is you're experiencing perhaps beautiful countryside. You're experiencing the, the joy of moving quickly through the air. Meditation opens you to experiences that are ever improving, ever better. So I can't say that I'm doing something specific like meditating differently than I did, but my experiences continue to deepen and ripen. And more and more out question without any hesitation, I know that I'm connected to spirit. I know that I am spirit. I know that uh, spirit is flowing through me and that I gained my insight, my intelligence, my higher feeling, my life force comes from spirit. And that connection just becomes undeniable the longer one meditates, because that's what you experience. Meditation is a tool that gives you access to something. And it's the something that is the most important, that the, the actual mechanics of meditation allow you to get past the limits of the brain. But once you get past the limits of the brain, you continue to be transformed. You continue to be experiencing deeper more profound, more moving, more life-changing feelings, inspirations, intuitions. It just goes on and on. Uh, Yogananda said that you just keep expanding until you reach infinity, that there, is, there are no inherent limits to who and what we really 
Netherlands Kwakiar, very different from all the stories of limitation that most people tell themselves and lives most people create for themselves. And so you find as you meditate, this has just been unfolding naturally for you as you move along this pathway? Yes, I think it, it's you. <laughs> there's, there's nothing foreign. Often the experience I have, and I've read about this uh, from other people, is that when you have a particularly deep experience, part of your brain is saying, well, of course, you know, this is me. This is what I am. And in Indian scriptures, it's often called smriti or memory. It's like you're remembering what you are, as if some distant memory that you had long forgotten comes back into your being and you go, oh, yes, I remember that. I remember how I feel. Because we are spirit. We are one with spirit. And the more time we spend immersed in it, the more we know that truth. Mm, powerful. Yeah, and in, in their book, Altered Traits, Richard Davison and Daniel Goldman talk about how we have these four circuits of enlightenment in the brain and that they see these light up in med meditators and they see those same four circuits light up in meditators from every tradition. And those circuits are inherently in everyone's brain. It's not like there are people in whom those circuits are absent. They're there for everybody. Most people just aren't, aren't lighting them up. So getting yeah. the practice of doing that and, and your, your life will, will begin to shift. I'm curious, when you sit down to meditate in the morning, how long does it take you to get into that deep, profound state where you feel as they have moved from local to non-local awareness? I find that meditation uh, and, and how well I can meditate is the same as just about anything else in my life, that it's it, it goes in streaks. Okay. I will have periods where I sit down to meditate and it's immediate. I don't need to do any techniques. I don't need to do anything other than just drink in that feeling. And then there'll be other periods of time where I do my techniques and it's it's an effort. I'm not naturally connecting. My mind is remaining active and perhaps I'm, I'm running some sort of emotional reaction to something that's going on in my life and it prevents me. So it's not the same. Every day is different, but it does definitely come in waves, up waves and down waves. I would say over time, the positive waves have gotten deeper and longer and the periods, the waves where I'm having more trouble, I'm learning more creative ways to work through them and so make it. One of them is just opening yourself emotionally to spirit to feeling a, a genuine connection to, to God, a personal connection, uh, praying, talking to God, but just opening your heart. In some ways, it doesn't matter what you say. There's no magic formula of a prayer. It's the fact that you are praying with your heart open. That is what makes the connection. No magic formula, but praying with your heart open. What a wonderful image of just being there, sitting there, connecting, moving into relationship with that greater self. You know, there's one amazing study, actually dates from 1996. It's quite an old study, but it's been replicated and it's, it showed, shot a light on this and showed that people who personalized their relationship with the infinite did better in terms of mood and in terms of, of elevated mental states than people who had an impersonal one. I thought it was just an interesting study. It was a very, really well-designed study, but that was the finding is that actually having a, a personal relationship with the infinite, feeling that sense of, of intimacy and oneness was, was produced really different moods in every day than an abstract or theoretical or a, um, a non-personal relationship. So I think you're, when you say, it doesn't matter what you say, no matter what you do, just being open to it is powerful. We're going to go to a break right now, but please stay tuned. We'll be right back. My name is Dawson Church. 
You're listening to High Energy Health. And for more on Joseph's work, go to his website, josephselbie.com. If you'd like a copy of my newest book, Misbrain, it's free at the website, listbrain.com, listbrain.com. And when you go to listbrain.com, you get book free. You do pay for shipping and handling, but you also get eight free meditations. And those are, again, pretty powerful. And make sure you listen to those because, again, research shows they make a change in your life, your mood, and your brain. So that's all at listbrain.com. We'll be right back after a break. So connect with us then in a few moments. Hello and welcome back to High Energy Health. It's a joy and a delight to share with you. I'm so glad you've taken this time to tune in to positive news, positive information, inspirational wisdom that really has the potential to change your life. And if you're going to do one thing as a takeaway, that one thing is meditate. Just spend that time meditating. Inform yourself on what effective meditation looks like. We've had many guests here who view meditation through the lens of science. And we know that some forms of meditation are really effective and engage different parts of the brain. So get informed, know the information, spend that time every day, meditate, you frame your whole day for positivity by doing that. For more on Joseph Selby's work and his books, go to his website, josephselby.com. That's S-E-L-B-I-E dot com. And for a copy of my new book, Blissbrain, go to blissbrain.com. And also make sure you bookmark and come back to High Energy Health on a regular basis. Joseph, I'm curious about something that you may or may not do, but one of the things I still find myself drawn into is social action and social activism. And I know that there are sort of two paths people take after they've been on this kind of... uh a life journey that we're referring to here, one of them is the path often of seclusion and practice and deepening and empowering these experiences. The other is going out in the world and maybe they protest, maybe they donate. Like I, I made some donations to political candidates recently. It was my wife is looking down our, our, our credit card bill and it's like, oh, wow, you're, you, you hardly ever do that. But I, I'm just donating to causes I believe in. I also volunteer and spend a lot of time actually doing things I think are important in the world. What's your your take on that? Your, what's your personal practice in that regard and, and how you see meditation interacting with social action? Well, you sort of put your finger on it in the very first segment, which uh, is that people meditating change the world. So I think the deepest form of activism is self-change, that as the phrase has been attributed to Gandhi, is is uh, become the change you want to see in the world. So if that change takes the form of activism, then that's just part of your flow of how you're going to change the world. What I think sometimes happens is that activism can make people uh, become emotionally involved in negative ways for themselves. They're, they're broadcasting fear or anger or some kind of angst about current situation. And I think that that does less service. I don't want to say it does no service, but I think it does less service than if they could do the exact same thing with a heartful calmness and peace and respect for those who they are uh, having to oppose on, on issues. 
But I think most deeply, whether you are active or not, is that even an hour of deep meditation sends out into the world, sends out into the world mind healing vibrations that are transformative. Because we can't see them, we don't appreciate how powerful they are. But they do change society in, in very deep ways because we are we're channeling a higher vibration. We're channeling peace. We're channeling love just by immersing ourselves in it during meditation. That psychosphere I mentioned early on, that we are participating in one or another strand of consciousness in that, in that, in that psychosphere. And if we're dialing into the anger, the frustration, the guilt, the blame, the shame, all of the negative emotions in there, we're strengthening that field as well as allowing that part of the field to flow through us. If we're tuning into all of the pro-social emotions and gratitude, joy, happiness, all, then we're strengthening that part of the psychosphere. And so meditators are much more likely to be strengthening that. And then just finally, as we come to a close here, what is your take on on trauma? Because people often have emotional trauma. I know some people, I, I work a lot with veterans, and they can't even close their eyes without having flashbacks of all kinds of traumatic events that they, they recall. So just in the last couple of minutes, how do meditators deal with trauma? Well, I think what meditation and various meditation practices, I use the Hung Sa technique, I use the Kriya Yoga technique, uh, but there are you know hundreds of different meditation techniques out there. But I think what they all share in common is a way in which to take one's focus away from the day-to-day, to take one's focus away from uh, what you happen to be feeling if it's negative. And it takes practice. And the more traumatic, the harder it is to take your mind away from it. But I do believe, because I've seen people do it, that if you meditate regularly and with depth, that you can train the mind to move away from reliving trauma. And the more you have to develop the opposite experience of trauma, you have to develop that feeling of spirit, of joy, of love, of well-being. And when you do that, then the deeper trauma that you had previously uh, is triggered less off. It's not like any of these things go away because they're not really created by the brain. They're just triggered by the brain. So if you can develop new triggers that trigger well-being rather than fear, you are going to live a different life. And gen- and gradually those circuits get stronger and stronger until that's what you trigger most often. Yes, that becomes your reality and you then are living that new reality that you've triggered repeatedly. And just in the last couple of moments, I'm curious what you're working on next, what your next direction is, what's fascinating you now? I am wrapping up a book. is a is a book without a title at the moment, but it basically delves into, in essence, how can miraculous health happen? What is what is a miraculous healing and how can it happen in terms of what we understand about molecular medicine, what we understand about biophysics, what we understand about quantum physics? Where does the ability for the mind or from deep spiritual experience Where does that power come to transform the body, to physically transform the body? And I'm finding it fascinating and inspiring to see just how powerful we are, that in a very real way, the human body is a continuous miracle. 
It certainly is. I know one study I did of uh, the epigenetics of PTSD, we worked with, with veterans. We gave them 10 sessions of EFT tapping, and we were doing an epigenetic study looking at microRNAs attached to their genome. And as they shifted, as their emotions changed, as their PTSD went down, their symptoms went away, we found these tiny little molecules called microRNAs that are associated with traumatic stress literally popping off the genome. So day one, week one, they had all of these little epigenetic tags on their genome that were indicators that correlate with traumatic stress. Ten weeks later, measuring gene expression again, those little epigenetic tags, those little microRNAs, these little molecules literally had popped off. So conscious change produces remarkable biological change. I'm so glad you're turning your immense imaginal talents in that direction again. It's been a real privilege and delight to connect with you today. Thank you so much. And I'm putting a mental bookmark in my mind for that next book. And I'm already mentally bookmarking it and knowing I'm going to get a lot and uh, learn a lot from it. Thank you so much for your work, for your passion, for your clarity, and for sharing with us today. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you for making the psychosphere a better place. <laughs> Thanks for joining me there. And please join me here every single week. I'm Dawson Church. Till next time round, all the best. Be healthy, be happy, love yourself, and join us in that place, that magnificent place of compassion that is non-local mind that is available to us every day. Thanks again, and I'll see you up there. 